0: Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. We're going to be in Jeremiah with this new series called Win the Day. My favorite author, period, is a guy by the name of Mark Batterson. He has written so many books. Uh, I have read majority of them. My favorite is The Circle Maker. It is a catalyst for our church, but I also love The Grave Robber. And out there, there's the book Double Blessing that you can pick up for free. And most recently, had a book that I got in on the front end of it called Win the Day. And I am going to be spending some time over the next four weeks not preaching out of that book, but taking some of the things from that book as far as a simple concept and making it into a biblical message from God's word as we talk about leading up to Easter and the aspect of winning the day. And here's kind of the premise, right, to introduce this series. Here's the way I wrote it. When you think about Jeremiah 29 11, very familiar verse, right? They'll throw it on the screen for just a second. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, a plan to prosper and not to harm, a plan to give you a hope and a future. And then you got John 10, 10, you know, another familiar verse, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Then for most people, not all, but for most people, that resounds another question. If he has a plan for us to prosper and not to harm, to give us hope and a future, if he has a life for us to give us life and to give life more abundantly, then we kind of have this like blank, right? And here's the way I wrote it. If God has such a great story for my life, then why does it blank? You fill in the blank. If God has such an amazing, great story for my life, then why does it... And we can fill in that blank, can't we? Here's some of the things that I think some people would fill in. If God has such an amazing, great story for my life, then why does it look like this why does it seem like I'm missing it why does it feel like I'm losing like if God has such an amazing aspect for my life he has this amazing plan he wants to give me life and to give me life more abundantly then why does it not feel so abundant? One of the things that I wrote is if God has such a great story for my life, thinking of everybody and something that they could possibly say, then why does it seem like I messed it up and I'm having to settle? I believe those are some of the simple thoughts of people that are breathing. I think all of us very quickly would say, oh man, but God's doing so much. I can look at the blessings in my life. But there's a part of us that sometimes that word settles kind of a powerful statement, right? Why does it feel like sometimes I'm, I'm settling? If God has such a great plan, why does it feel like I'm missing it? Why, why are these things happening? Well, over the next four weeks leading up to Easter, I want to try to answer That one simple fill in the blank. And I want us to think about it a little bit more because I want us to ask this. If God has such a great plan for my life, how about I wish he would show me? I don't know about you, but I think that's where a lot of people are. I think most people, in fact, we do growth track every Sunday at 9 a.m., and we talk about some of this. I think most people would say that, you know what, God, if you have such an amazing plan, if you have such an amazing story, if you're going to write this amazing story in my heart and have something so great for me, Lord, that is so awesome. I just wish you would show me. I wonder how many people, in your mind, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I wonder how many people would be honest and say, you know what, that's where I'm That's where I'm sitting. I am sitting at a place where I say, you know what? I wish he would show me. If that's you in your mind, if you're saying, Mickey, I, I, I really do. I want to know what it is. I want to know what his plan is. This plan to prosper and not to harm, to give me a hope and a future. I want to know what life is and life more abundantly. I want to know what these things are. Then I want to ask you to make a commitment with me for the next four weeks. We're going to run all the way up to Easter. We're actually going to go through Easter. The Sunday after Easter, which is going to be April the 10th, or actually April the 11th. We're going to have baptism Sunday. It's going to be a great time. Some of you guys have been waiting. But for those weeks, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to make a commitment that if, if God will show you, if God will speak to you, then you'll make a commitment to listen and respond. Does that seem fair? If that's your heart and you want God to show you, and over the next four to five weeks, he speaks to you, he shows you, then is it fair to say, will you respond? Will you move in your life towards what he's saying? See, here's the thing that I think a lot of people get entrapped, not entrapped, but a little bit fearful of. They know God's got something great for their life. But they're worried they're gonna to have to forfeit something to have it. And they just don't know what that means. And so we come to church and we we get into God's word and we. We are moved with worship with Pastor Sam and the Amazing Worship Dream Team. And then we get into God's Word and we even have community groups. And we do some different things in our community, trying to let our community know that we love them. Not because of anything we want from them, but just because they're worthy to be loved. And we're doing all these things and then then all of a sudden we hit like this ethical dilemma, right? Like we're seeking perfect sense and we find it, but we keep looking for more sense. That's the reason why you hear me say on a regular basis. When you're seeking perfect sense and you find it, seek no other sense. When you're seeking perfect truth and you find it, quit looking for truth. All you're doing is confusing yourself. And so I'm wondering how many people are willing to make this journey with me and notice I said, with me, for the next four to five weeks, where we're going to say, "Listen, God, if I'm not testing God, Scripture is very clear. This isn't a test. God, if you will show me, this is more like that fleece-like faith. Gideon puts the fleece out, and you know, make the ground wet and the fleece dry. Okay, make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Okay, I know that's what you're calling. Like it's almost one of these like, Lord, if you'll show me, I'll listen and respond. If that's you, then I want you to buckle up. Because I believe that God's given us a very distinct path that I'm really excited about that I think is going to be a catalyst for all of us for the next four weeks. And I think this Easter is going to be in an amazing, amazing celebration. But the first thing we have to understand if you're taking notes is you got to ask yourself a question. Who's writing your story and who are you listening to? If we are going to talk about what it is that God's calling us to do, to having life and life more abundantly, and to have this aspect of, of what it is He is declaring over us, a plan to prosper and not to harm, then we've got to ask this question. Who are we listening to and who's writing our story? Well, you're going to find very quickly, I think that some of the things that you're struggling with is actually what God's people struggle with for the whole time. So if you have your Bibles, let's dive into God's word. Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. Listen to these amazing words. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant. Now, if you are new here, this may seem a little bit odd. You just got to trust me on this. It, this is paper and ink, but it is God's word. I believe in writing and highlighting. and So I want you to underline that word if you have a paper copy, a new covenant. If you're on a tablet or on your phone, highlight those in your app that you're in. A new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, there I was their husband, declared the Lord. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. And listen to these words, these are so good. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach to his neighbor and each to his brother, saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And then this last part, underline this, highlight it. This is huge. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Yeah, one of the things that you're probably dealing with is the same thing that I deal with when I start thinking about this life, this life more abundant, this aspect of prosper, and to do these different concepts. I am not talking just, I, I need to say this just for my own conscience. I do not believe in a prosperity gospel. I'm not talking about, oh, man, if you love Jesus, you're going to end up with a Cadillac. If you love Jesus, you're probably going to end up with a 2,000 black truck that has about 375,000 miles on it. That's what you're going to end up with. All right? And so I'm not talking about that you love Jesus and everything just gets great and grand. I'm not saying that you love Jesus and everything's just simple and easy. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. But what I do believe is that God wants to prosper you. And he wants to bless you. And where his will and his presence reside equals his favor. And I believe that God wants to have great favor in your life. But I think the thing you're struggling with is the same thing that God's people's always struggled with. Captivity. See, the old covenant that he's talking about was a covenant that he made with his people when they were in captivity and slavery in Egypt. It's the central theme of God's word. It's taking God's people out of captivity into freedom where they can have life and have life more abundantly. The captivity started actually in the garden with a a tree that he said, don't eat of this. And then he, he cast them out of the garden. They started working. He set up this law. And all of a sudden this famine hit and they leave and they go down. Remember Joseph who gets thrown in a pit and he ends up being the helper of Pharaoh and ends up being the salvation of the Egypt people because he's able to help them. And then Joseph passes away and then Moses turns around and delivers them out of Pharaoh because Pharaoh has changed and now he's not looking at the Jewish people as a blessing anymore, but he's looking at them as somebody that could be a big power and overthrow them. And every since that point, when they left the promised land, being the garden you know what we've been searching for the new promised land do you know even in 2021 you know what people are still looking for the promised land where is it that i can reside where god's favor and blessing is going to be in my life and i think there's one issue we have we are listening to the wrong people and we're letting the wrong people write our stories we let everybody. I don't want I don't have time to go into this, nor should I, because my staff will absolutely go off on me tomorrow in staff meeting with everything that's on news and social media and cancel culture and all that. I'm not going to go there, but I'm telling you there's a lot of people trying to rewrite your story and tell you what truth is. You need to be careful to know where truth really lies. And you need to be careful with who you let Put a pen to your life and write this over you as if it's the truth. See, God's people, their struggle was this. They were living under an old covenant that was disobedience rather than living under a new covenant, which is a new relationship with him. Can I break this down? If you're taking notes, you can make two columns, old covenant, new covenant. Here's the contrast. The new covenant that we just read about in Jeremiah chapter 31 Verses 31 through 34. The new covenant is talking about a restored relationship. The old covenant was talking about a broken relationship. You know, in this scripture, he's saying, you know what? It's not like the old covenant that they broke. Where I was like their husband and they broke that. I was directing and guiding them and they broke that. I was providing for them and they broke that. It's not like that. The other thing that he compares it with, he says, and it's not like them running around and being disobedient. Not only did they break that, but they were disobedient people. He says, I've got a new covenant that you can be a part of that's not based on your disobedience equaling captivity. It's based on your obedience equaling freedom. I'll give you a little hint. I don't want to get too far into it because we've got several weeks. But if you're living in a lifestyle where you're constantly feeling regret and struggles and feeling less than, I would say that your premise is based on disobedience, not obedience. I'm not talking about an obedience as far as I do the right thing, I love Jesus, I work my way to Him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an obedience, which means I will submit to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Rather than doing it on my own, I will submit to the author and perfecter of my faith. You know, the other thing I wrote down in comparing these, one of them, they're running around and they're, they're teaching each other. The old covenant, they're, they're having to teach each other so that they will know the Lord. And in this new covenant, he says, you know what, you don't have to do that anymore because everybody can know him personally. And he says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Think about the relationship and the family aspect that's there. I mean, when's the last time you really thought about that? The God of this world, this universe, the Yahweh God, looked at you and says, those are my people. Some of the most encouragement that I get is when I'm out in public. And somebody comes up to me and they've got a friend or they've got a co-worker. And they see me at Old Fort or Shane's. It's usually a restaurant. If you ever want to find me, go to somewhere that serves food. You'll find me, okay? And they'll see me and they'll say, Mickey, Mickey, come here. And then they'll say this statement. They have a little bit of a smile on their face. And they'll say, I want to introduce you. This is my pastor. And it's not this egotistical. It's not this prideful. You know what it is? It's very humbling and it's so loving because I love it when people aren't ashamed of who I am to them. Think about that. God says, these are my people. We don't talk about that a lot in church anymore, do we? There's a lot of amazing churches not only in our community but across the United States and throughout the world. And today, unfortunately, some of them have a pastor standing up in a pulpit talking about how wicked, how bad, how terrible, like you're like one you're you're one slip away from eternal damnation. Like you are the worst people in the world because of sin. You say, Mickey, what's your thoughts on that? I do believe that that without a relationship with Jesus Christ, we all have eternal damnation. But I believe what God's word says when he says, you know what? I, I made you to be more than conquerors. I made you a little less than the angels. I don't look at God leveraging and bankrupting heaven and sending his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, to die for you for somebody that he looked at as scum on the bottom of his shoe. I look at it as somebody that he looks at as worth. My wife made this statement. We were riding and on vacation, and she made a statement that has not gotten out of my mind as we were driving. And she said, I would love to try to help our women know that they are women of worth. And we weren't talking about you or any one particular thing, but the way she said that, I was like, that's what we are, right? It's not a halty prideful, it's, it's that where do you find your worth? Like, who is, who is valuing you? Like, if I go to a store, depending on the store I walk into, they determine what the worth of an article that I'm going to get is. Amazingly enough, I can go to the name brand store when it first comes out, and they say, hey, this shirt, I value it at $180. And I go, okay, thank you very much. I don't, (laughs) because I know that nobody's going to buy that at $180, and here in about three months, it'll be at TJ Maxx for $29.99, and I walk up in there, and I say, now, I I do value this at $29.99, but what's amazing is, catch this, you'll put that shirt on, and people that don't know any better, they go, oh, man, this guy's loaded. And he's walking around. He's got this shirt and that shirt and Southern Tide or Marsh or whatever these things are. And oh, and what they don't realize is you just cheap as they are, you just buying it at the discount store, right? But isn't it amazing how people will determine your value based on what they see rather than who you are? Can I say that one more time? People will determine your value based on what they see more than who you are. That's what I love about God. God determines your value based on whose you are compared to what you are. Have we sinned? All of us. Falling short of the glory of God? All of us. Have eternal damnation as a, as a response to our, to our sin, every one of us. But God says, wait a minute, not that one. Oh, no, 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 not that one. That one's valuable. I sent my son for that one. Oh, no, not, not that one either. In fact, the whole world, all of them, those are mine. I'm their God. And they can be my people if they'll let me write their story. You may tell you why you struggle so much with filling in the blank. If God's got such a great story, if all these things are so amazing, then why is it blank? You may tell you why the blank is so tough because you're holding the pen. That's what God's people was doing. In fact, this last part, I told you, is so huge. There's a little bit more than that. He talks about the least will become the greatest. He talks about these different concepts. But listen to this last part of this scripture. It is so amazing. It's the end of verse 34. And he says this, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Here's the way I wrote it in my notes. Quit listening to the defeats of your yesterdays, and start winning your today. That's what God's saying, right? Quit listening to the defeats of your yesterday and let's start winning today. That's the theme, right? Win the day. Most of us are struggling in life. You know why? Over something that God's already said, hey. I I forgive their iniquities. I remember their sin no more. The problem is is that God's God and we're not. And you know what? We have a hard time. We're all about forgiveness. But forgetting, golly, man, that's the toughest thing in the world, isn't it? Like, have you ever been in a, I'm not going to say an argument, but have you ever been in a situation that something that you thought was way in the past all of a sudden gets brought up and you're like, wow, they remember that? I've joked around with my children. Some of the things that they remembered, I thought, that's what you remember? Like, out of of all the things that we've done, that's what you remember? Funny story, I was on this trip talking to Ellie. And one of her things that she remembers most about her amazing father, Now you don't want to toot my own horn, but, you know, toot toot, was the time she got salt water in her eye and I licked her eyeball. Now, a lot of you are saying that's disgusting. I call it, that's being a dad, right? I'm going to take one for the, the reality is I had nothing to wash it out with. She's crying. I'm going, how am I going to handle this? And I had this amazing idea. I've watched lizards lick an eyeball. I said, Ellie, come here. All right, lean your head back. And before she can know it, i licked that thing. And it worked. Now, I'm not recommending that you do that. I'm also not discouraging it either. But when you talk to Ellie about the beach, you say, Ellie, tell me one of the memories that you have about the beach. Bryn's like, oh, Dad, I, I love taking naps on the beach with you sometimes. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. The boys, oh, we used to do the different boards and boogie boarding and throwing bocce ball. Oh, that's great. Amy, I just like telling the beat. Ellie, I liked it when you licked my eyeball. Like, that's what I remember. Remember when you licked my eyeball? And I'm going, like I didn't even remember licking your eyeball. But it's the traumatic things that stick with us the most, didn't it? A lot of times we don't remember the blessings. We don't remember the great times. We don't remember God's provision. We remember the traumatic, the abnormal, the licking the eyeball. And we sit there and we say, you know what, I want to have life and have life more abundantly and I want to have this life that you declared over me to prosper and not to harm, to give me a hope and a future. But we look at it and when we start looking at it, you know what we start thinking about? We think about bad relationships, broken relationships, struggles, addictions, divorces, all the things that are just like trauma. And not only do we listen to those things, but we give it the pen. And we let it start writing our story. And one day turns into two days, turns into three days, turns into four days, turns into five days, turns into a week, turns into a month, turns into years. And we're letting a situation that happened literally years ago still write our story today. Can I read what I wrote down one more time? Quit listening to the defeats of your yesterday and start winning today. I think this will help if I close with just a simple story to kind of drive home what I'm trying to get you to understand as we launch this new series. There's a gentleman named Bo Easton, E A S O N, and Bo Easton was had one major thing that he wanted to do. At age nine, he drove. He wrote a little sketch. He, He sketched out a piece of paper, and it was this little stick figure person, and, that, and it wasn't the sketch that was so amazing, what was amazing is, is what he wrote at the bottom of this sketch, his name was Bo Easton. and at the bottom of this sketch, he wrote, best safety in the NFL, and at nine years old, that's what he wanted to be, well, when he went to high school and went to his first football practice, there was one problem, in fact, I have a picture, I will show you Bo Easton as he goes to high school. Are you ready? Show that picture. He was five foot 100 pounds. I don't know about you, but I don't know of a lot of professional athletes that are five foot 100 pounds. In fact, his high school coach told him, We think you're too small. So Bo's dad picks him up from his first practice in high school, and he gets in the car and he says, How did it go? And he said, Dad, they measured everybody. They measured our height. They measured our weight. They measured our workouts, our bench. And the coach thinks I'm too little in all those areas. And then Bo Easton's dad has one of those moments like that I think a lot of us wish we'd had. And Bo Easton's dad looked at him and says, but did they measure your heart? And after he told him that, he started telling the story. You see, Bo's dad lived out west, and he was a rancher. And he said, son, let me tell you a story about ranching. The livelihood of a rancher is built around dogs. The ranch dog is the most powerful thing of all because he will help keep everything in line. He will help herd the cattle and, and keep up with the ranch. And he says, and every year, we will turn around, and we will have another litter of these dogs. And every year, the rancher will go, and he will look at all of the litter." And he will turn around and he will find the runt of the litter. And he'll take a piece of yarn and he'll tie it around his neck. Just loosely. Because the rancher knows something that nobody else knows. That over the next umpteen months, that runt of the family is going to work harder, work more, and do more to survive than any other dog. Because he's trying to survive. And so at the end of the day, when these puppies get old enough to give away, the rancher will do something that most people never realize. He gives away every dog except for one. And he keeps the dog with the yarn around his neck. Well, both took that story, and he made it his story. And he made a commitment that from that day forward, nobody was ever going to outwork out-hustle, or out-effort him in anything. In fact, he made a commitment that he kept for 20 years that he would be the first person on and off the practice field every day. Well, Bo Easton not only made that commitment and kept it for 20 years, but by the end of high school, he ended up getting a college football scholarship. And in 1984, the first safety. Selected in the NFL draft by the Houston Oilers was Bo Eason. And his career was amazing. Three years in his career, still making that commitment that nobody was ever going to beat him to the practice field or beat him being the last one on the... It broke. He got traded to the 49ers. He showed up for practice an hour and a half early to walk out on the practice field... And realized that Jerry Rice was already there working out. Just so happened to be probably one of the greatest NFL players ever. Easily the best receiver ever. Well, Bo Easton's football career ended with a knee injury. You say, oh man, that is such a good story. Why you tell me that? Well, he wrote a Broadway play. You know the title of it? The Runt of the Litter. In fact, Bo Easton still travels around sharing his story and inspiring with one simple concept. Who are you going to listen to? And who's going to write your story? See, a lot of people in this world are going to look at you and they're going to say, I don't know, you ain't big enough. But they're not measuring your heart. In fact, God says in his scripture that he measures the heart of man. And so I had this idea, crazy idea. But I'm wondering how many people will join me on the journey for four to five weeks. And so I thought, you know what? I got some yarn. And for me, I tied it around my wrist. And every time I look at this thing and every time I touch it, or look, I'm going to pray. Not just for Easter, I'm going to pray for all of us saying, you know what? How about we go be who God's called us to be? Rather than thinking about all the things that people are telling me that I can't do, all the things that I'm not big enough to do, all the things, well, you know, because of your past, Mickey, you can't do blank. How about I go and say, you know what, you can't measure my heart. And I'm going to pursue God with reckless abandonment. You know, we do 21 days of prayer twice a year. And we're not entering 21 days of prayer right before Easter. But we are going to have an amazing time for the next several weeks that I want this to be one of these things that, that for those of you that want to, not all of you are going to do that, and that's fine. But for anybody that wants to, as you leave today, you're going to see a table in the lobby as you leave, and you can simply pick up. We've got blue and we've got gold. And you'll just pick one up, tie it, and clip it, just put it on. And I want you to ask yourself a question on a regular basis. Every time you see this piece of yarn, who am I going to listen to? And who's going to write my story? What would it look like if I give the pen to the author and protector of my faith? Maybe when the pen's in his hand, maybe this life more abundantly, This plan to prosper and not to harm, to give you hope. Maybe God's will and God's presence equals God's favor. And if you'll listen, he'll speak. But remember the commitment at the beginning. And your commitment is you're going to respond. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at CrossroadsCommunityChurch.com.